1: Additional classified documents found in Joe Biden's possession. And the House Judiciary Committee opens an investigation.
2: What did the president know about those documents? Was he aware that they'd been moved?
1: The death toll rising in the Russian missile strike on a Ukrainian apartment building. There's effectively two wars going on in Ukraine. Economic experts warn that recession
3: may still grip the U.S. this year. I think there's a lot of risk in 2023, not just in the market, but in the economy. This
1: is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Monday, January 16th. I'm Mike Scott. On Friday, the House Judiciary Committee announced... It would open an investigation into the Obama-era classified documents that were found in President Joe Biden's possession at his home in Delaware and in an office in Washington, D.C. That panel will be headed by Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio. Jordan has sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland requesting all documents and communications between the Justice Department and the White House over the discoveries. The Biden administration has admitted that classified documents dating back to the president's time as Obama's vice president were found at the Joe Biden home. That news came on the heels of the White House confirming that other documents were found in a closet at an old office that Joe Biden used
4: in Washington. The White House has disclosed five more classified pages were found at President Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware. White House lawyer Richard Sauber says that discovery was made Thursday after Biden's lawyers searched a room next to his garage. The lawyers noticed a document that contained at least one classified page. Because they did not have security clearances, they suspended their search and voluntarily notified the Justice Department. In a statement, Sauber adding, quote, while I was transferring it to the DOJ officials who accompanied me, five additional pages with classification markings were discovered among the material with it for a total of six pages. The DOJ officials with me immediately took possession of them. The discovery the same day Attorney General Merrick Garland announced a special counsel would look into President Biden's handling of classified materials after he left the Obama administration. The political firestorm over the documents overshadowing President Biden's agenda last week, raising questions about whether more would be found.
5: Are you confident you did nothing wrong, Mr.
0: President?
4: In November, the Biden team notified the DOJ of about 10 classified documents found at the Penn-Biden Center in Washington, D.C. More than a month later, President Biden's lawyers located additional documents at his home. And just this week, the DOJ said the president's lawyers found one more document also at the home.
1: Former Deputy U.S. Attorney General Rod Rosenstein says the Justice Department had no choice but to appoint a special counsel to investigate the discovery of classified documents at President Joe Biden's home and former Washington office.
2: Having made the appointment in the Trump case, Merrick Garland put himself in a position where he really had no choice when this matter came along, unless the preliminary inquiry were to establish that there was no chance that a crime had been committed. And according to what we've heard, John Lausch did not make that decision.
1: Rosenstein says no one can say at this time that President Biden's apparent mishandling of classified information was any different than that of Donald Trump.
2: What did the president know about those documents? Was he aware that they'd been moved? Did he, in any case, in the past five years, has he uh, handled those documents? Was he aware of them? We just don't know that yet. Uh, So I think given that, we really can't speculate just based on what's in the public record.
1: Rosenstein was asked if he thinks President Biden will be called on to testify about his knowledge of the classified information found in his private residence and former office.
2: Well, that would be a logical step if I were conducting this investigation. I want to go right to the source and ask the president directly whether or not he was aware of those documents.
1: The aftermath of a Russian missile strike on an apartment building in the Ukrainian city of Nipro has seen the death toll rise to 30 as people search through the rubble For survivors.
6: A fresh round of missiles pummeled Ukraine this weekend. Hardest hit this residential apartment block in Dnipro. A reminder, Russian style, this is a war declared largely on civilians. Operating in pitch darkness, rescue workers raced overnight to pull people from the shattered building, pausing to listen for survivors. There's someone alive, they shout in unison. Among the dead, a young child. Among the living, 23-year-old Anastasia Schwetz, who survived by hiding in the bathroom of her seventh-floor apartment. Firefighters were still at it today, finding this woman alive more than 18 hours after the attack. The The strike comes at the end of a week of intense combat in the east, where fighting continues in Bakhmut and Solidar. Ukraine says Moscow is trying to grind down its forces using mercenaries from the Russian paramilitary group Wagner. They've had a lot of losses, Ukrainian soldier Vadim said. They're attacking in waves and walking over the dead bodies. Solidar remains contested despite Russia's claims of victory. It's been one of Ukraine's deadliest weekends to date, Jerika. The mayor of Dnipro now says there is very little chance of finding anyone alive in that bombed-out apartment block, while the Russian defense ministry says the strikes achieve their goal.
1: According to Ukrainian reports, at least 73 were injured Saturday when the explosion smashed through all nine floors of the building that housed an estimated 1,700 people. Reports now suggest... That of the 30 missiles launched into Ukrainian cities, 20 were shot down. Energy infrastructure again took a pounding, a common theme for Russian attacks in recent months. Retired Admiral James Stavridis tells the Salem Radio Network that he would send heavy equipment to Ukraine to aid in the ground war.
5: Effectively, two wars going on in Ukraine. One is the ground war. You need the heavy tanks, the medium-sized armored personnel carriers. These would be the U.S. Bradleys.
1: Stavridis explains what kind of vehicles the U.S. and Europe should be sending to help Ukraine win the war on the ground.
5: Even some highly mobile, reasonably armored strikers, perhaps. Um, the Europeans make and field excellent Um, medium-weight tanks like the Leopard, um, all that will influence the land war.
1: Stavridis shares with the Salem radio network what kind of airplanes should be sent to help Ukraine.
5: In the air war, um, good job on putting patriots up there. Let's get some F-16s or at least Polish MiG-29s into the fight.
1: Stavridis says Ukraine is at a point where they could win their war with help from the U.S., and from NATO,
5: we're at a crucial point here where the heavy equipment, at uh, land and in the air, and oh by the way, the addition of harpoon missiles um, would be the naval equivalent of all this, and those are in the mix as well. I think we're we're at a pretty critical time.
1: Staff Rita says we can help Ukraine win the war with Russia
5: by helping them deal with the Russian drones. Number one is using unmanned vehicles, and here. Uh, U.S. industry has really stepped up and provided quick action development and fielding of very lethal offensive drones. We saw that particularly in the early part of the war when it was the Russians moving with their heavy equipment.
1: The retired admiral went on to explain our big advantages over Russia in the war with Ukraine.
5: Number two, and this is something where we enjoy an immense advantage. It's intelligence. It's how well we're able to translate from um, the big picture. Uh, Is Putin moving troops into Belarus or is he going to come after a renewed push against uh, Bakhmut? Florida Governor
1: Ron DeSantis was given a major victory when a federal judge ruled that Desantis's administration did not violate a court order regarding the state's Stop Woke Act, a law that prohibits colleges from promoting critical race theory. U.S. District Court Judge Mark Walker wrote, although this court would not hesitate to compel compliance with its preliminary injunction, this court finds there has been no violation of the injunction at this time. Plaintiffs had challenged that law, arguing that the DeSantis administration had failed to comply with a preliminary injunction that prevented enforcement of some parts of the law. DeSantis introduced the bill in December of 2021 and signed it into law last April. The law prevents schools and corporations from subjecting any student or employee to training or instruction that espouses, promotes, advances, inculcates, or compels such individuals to believe specified concepts that constitute discrimination based on race, color, sex, or national origin. The governor says that many public schools are failing in fundamentals like reading and therefore, in his opinion, shouldn't spend so much time on ideological lessons
7: when I cited some of these school districts across the country that are doing all these crazy things, I'm just thinking to myself, are you doing so good at reading and math and all these other things that you can divert all this attention to ideology and indoctrination? I mean, come on. Most of those places that are doing that are performing much uh, worse than than any place in Florida. And so you know, we do have to, what Lacacia said, is really focus on the foundations, on, on the basic pillars of what a good education is and, and the court certainly civics education uh, is a big part of that.
1: The Florida governor says that his administration's priority is for schools to focus on learning the basics.
7: By us protecting against CRT and this stop woke act, You know, we're going to be making sure that that time in school is actually spent learning and not just being targets of indoctrination. And that is going to be a very good thing for parents uh, throughout the state of Florida.
1: During his victory speech for his second term, DeSantis stated that simply Florida is where woke goes to die.
7: Now this great exodus of Americans... For those folks, Florida, for so many of them, has served as the promised land. We we have embraced freedom. We have maintained law and order. We have protected the rights of parents. We have respected our taxpayers, and we reject woke ideology. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die.
1: ACLU attorney Leah Wilson released a statement in part saying, we remain concerned that this directive from the executive office of governor is a thinly veiled attempt to circumvent restrictions of the preliminary injunction. By eliminating funding for valuable instruction on systemic racism and sexism. We will continue to monitor for enforcement of the unconstitutional provisions of the Stop Woke Act and will seek to enforce the court's preliminary injunction. We may soon know who leaked Supreme Court documents in the Roe v. Wade case. Daybreak Insiders, Tasha Stevens has more on this developing story.
6: Supreme Court investigators are narrowing down the possible suspects in their probe of the leak of the court's draft opinion to overturn Roe v. Wade. One day after the leak, Chief Justice John Roberts assigned the high court's marshal to find the culprit. The Wall Street Journal reports the court brought in outside investigators. Taysha Stevens reporting.
1: Some leading economists are still sounding the alarm over a potential recession coming in the near future, despite the Fed and the Biden administration trying to downplay concerns. Even though the GDP grew in the last quarter of 2022 and the economy added more jobs, many economists are saying that soon will change. The Fed raised its benchmark last month by a half percentage point, which was still double the usual, but not as large as the last four rate hikes it has made, which were all three quarters of a percentage point. The Biden administration has not yet released its December jobs report, but in November, the U.S. added 263,000 jobs as unemployment held steady at 3.7%. Peter Schiff is an economist and ECO of Euro-Pacific Capital and joined Fox News to say that 2023, in his opinion... It's not going to be a good year for the economy.
3: Yeah, I think the optimism is unfounded. I don't think it's going to be a good year for the stock market. I think there are going to be some stocks that do well. Unfortunately, most Americans don't own those stocks. The ones that they do own are going to go down. The very popular stocks that a lot of people have crowded into during the bubble, uh, these stocks, even though they've come down a lot in 2022, they still have a long way to fall. And I think there's a lot of risk in 2023, not just in the market, but in the economy.
1: Schiff says that he believes that the slight decline in inflation
3: that has been reported will not last. Well, I think people are underestimating just how bad the news is going to get. First of all, a lot of people think that inflation is going to come down. It's not. I think the decline is what's transitory. I think we're going to be making new year-over-year highs in inflation before the end of the year. And the recession that everybody denies exists is actually going to get worse. So we're going to have a weaker economy and stronger inflation. And the markets are not expecting that, and neither is the Fed.
1: Many economic experts say that the recession forecasts have not wavered, and we should all be prepared. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says the U.S. is projected to reach its roughly $31.4 trillion borrowing limit in less than a week. More on this from our Daybreak Insider on Capitol Hill, Bernie Bennett.
7: An estimate from the Peter G. Peterson Foundation shows the nation's debt ceiling above $31 trillion and within striking range of the limit set more than a year ago. Yellen shared the estimate in a letter to Speaker Kevin McCarthy Friday. She also warned the department would soon have to begin taking extraordinary measures to stave off a default to buy time for Congress to find a bipartisan solution. McCarthy has pressed for any action to address the debt ceiling to be tied to spending cuts sought by Republicans. However, proposals were significant cuts, are likely to find trouble in the Senate where Democrats still hold control. Bernie Bennett in Washington.
1: Baseball is on track to expand robot umpires to all AAA ballparks. Daybreak Insider's Ron DeRockstra has more on calling balls and strikes.
3: The MLB started the experiment in the Independent Atlantic League in 2019. The automatic ball strike system was then used at five AAA stadiums for parts of last season, and if owners approve of it next month, it will be expanded to all 30 AAA ballparks. Baseball Commissioner Rob Manford, however, has said he is not considering high-tech umpires For the major leagues in 2023, Rhonda Rockstar reporting. And finally,
6: the new Miss Universe is Miss Universe
1: 2023 is the USA's own Urbani Gabriel. She has made history twice in the last year when she became the first Asian-American woman to win the title of Miss Texas USA in June, and then the first Filipina to win Miss USA in October.
5: Miss USA, Arbany Gabriel, is the winner of the 71st annual international pageant. In second place, Miss Venezuela, Amanda Dudamel, followed by Miss Dominican Republic. Arbany is the first Miss USA to win Miss Universe since Olivia Colpo took home the crown in 2012. The 28-year-old Miss Universe is the lead sewing instructor at Magpies and Peacocks, a Houston-based nonprofit design house that is dedicated to using, quote, fashion as a force for good.
1: Gabrielle's mother is from Beaumont, Texas, and her father is an immigrant from the Philippines. At the nonprofit design house Magpies and Peacocks, Gabrielle teaches sewing to women who are survivors of human trafficking and domestic violence. During the pageant, the Houston native wowed the judges with her wardrobe and her national costume titled, Women on the Moon. It dazzled as a tribute to the NASA Space Center in Houston. During her final question, Gabrielle explained how she would use her position as Miss
7: Universe.
4: I would use it to be a transformational leader. As a very passionate designer, been sewing for 13 years, I use fashion as a force for good. In my industry, I'm cutting down on pollution through recycled materials when I make my clothing. I teach sewing classes to women that have survived from human trafficking and domestic violence. And I say that because it is so important to invest in others, invest in our community, and use your unique talent to make a difference. We all have something special, and when we plant those seeds to other people in our life, we transform them, and we use that as a vehicle for change.
1: She is the first Miss USA to take home the international title in more than a decade and move to Thailand for her year of service. She also plans on continuing her own clothing brand, Urbani Nola, and serving as an ambassador for her platform.